I, I pray that. Sometimes God says, well, I would help you if you would study. <laughs> but we, in some way, we, we, we desire, it's built in us to have God near, whether it's trivial or not. And I'm not saying those things are trivial. We desire God to be with us. But there's something built in us to be near God. And I think that that is a desire that God put in us from the very beginning of time. We were created to have a relationship with God. And if you look back even in the garden, the glimpse in the garden, God, it says this in the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, it says that he would come to them in the cool of the day. Here's God, the creator, the awesome one. He would come to them in the cool of the day. What is that what does that speak to us? That speaks to of his desire to be near people. He created Adam and Eve not as a, you know, some cruel sixth grader that's you know, melting them with a, you know, a, a magnifying glass or waiting for them to get out of line and smack them around. He came to them to be with them because he was revealing something about his heart, relationship. But as we know, sin came in and it fractured relationship. It separated. God couldn't be near sin in his holiness. And so then what do we have? We have God responding by restoring the relationship by sending Emmanuel, Jesus. God with us again. And so the, the, the part of the Christmas story in the Gospels that we find this prophecies in Matthew and we'll take a look at that in a moment. That's actually the fulfillment passage. But first, I want to take a look at when the prophecy was first given in Isaiah. Isaiah 7. This is, again, 700 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, it is, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The, the, and the, the, that word Emmanuel means God with us. Isn't it interesting? Verse 14 we see on Christmas cards, right? We hear that. People, you know, speak this. You know, therefore, the Lord will give you... Have you ever thought about 13? And if you study the context, it's that in Isaiah, here now you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of human? Will you not try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord will give himself, will give you a sign. And so on the surface, we can just blow by this and think, you know, that's the prophecy of the Messiah. We get it. That's the birth of Jesus. We sing Christmas carols about it. We write it on our Christmas cards. But I encourage you not to lose the power and significance of this passage. It was a prophecy given in the, midst, in the midst of Israel being a hard-headed, and specifically to King Ahaz, who was the king, he was very stubborn, and the people were very hard-headed. And then you have this prophecy right in the middle of this, that Isaiah is basically rebuking them, and he is disciplining them. In the midst of it, we get a glimpse of the gospel that God's response to man's sin and stubborn heart is Jesus. In the midst of very difficult times, you will see this in Isaiah 9, the other prophecy about Jesus. It's a, it's a lot of words about judgment, and then it's, he will come, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. You have all of that too, and it's, both of those are in the midst of troubled times. And then, boom, you have Jesus 
the word of Jesus, the prophecy of Jesus, that in the midst of stubbornness and hard-heartedness and hard-headedness, and Ahaz had, was leading the Israelites away from God, that yes, there are consequences, but in the midst of that, he puts out Jesus and says, there will be Emmanuel, he's coming. And God's response to our stubbornness and our rebellion is to give us Jesus. It's like when I was painting the picture, it's like somebody that hates your guts. They can't stand the sight of you. You walk in and they just want to either run the other way or attack you. They just are angry with you. And you walk up them and you give them this priceless gift and you grab them and hug them. And can you imagine what they would do? They're rigid. They don't want you to be near them. And you're giving them a gift. And they said, even though you hate me, even though you despise me, I am loving you and I'm going to give you a priceless gift. This is somewhat of a picture of God walking up to us when we were still sinners, when we were rebels, when we were broken. He comes up to us and sometimes we're just, you know, I don't know if I want to be near you. And he says, here's my son. Here is something very priceless. It's done because I love you. So don't miss the significance and the meaning you all need to also realize that this was somewhat crazy talk to the Israelites, this word about Jesus. The reason being is they had only seen God as awesome, powerful, unmentionable, untouchable, unapproachable, right? Because in the garden, you have God's nearness, you have God's design, you have God's plan to be near people. Sin fractured that. So God can't be near them. So God would speak through the prophets. This is before Jesus came. And so he was somewhat unapproachable. Now, he loved people, but, but a holy God in contact with human sin, it doesn't go well for humans. And so the Israelites, they knew God as awesome, powerful, unmentionable, untouchable, unapproachable, and he, but he loved them, but sin separated. You couldn't be near God like that. But God was going to bridge that separation again through Jesus. He had been called Yahweh. Yahweh, you, it's kind of the undefinable one. We can't even put a definition. Adonai means the powerful. Elohim means that he has all authority. And so it's these power words that described God. That's who they knew him. All-powerful, all-knowing. And he's, you know, he's like, whoa. You know, that, that, that kind of, you can't really approach him. That's what the people knew him as. But now Isaiah is saying something that probably seemed like crazy talk. He's saying the virgin will give birth and you will, he will be called Emmanuel. He's saying, you know Adonai, you know Yahweh, he will also be Emmanuel. God with us. Can you imagine what they're hearing? They're saying, you got to be kidding me. There's no way. Him among us, him being with us, him being near us. There's no way that could happen. But it was a revelation, again, of God's heart to people. And you see his heart toward people, even in the midst of them rebelling. God is in pursuit of us. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God is in pursuit of us. So from that time, some, they would wait in anticipation to the fulfillment of that promise. Some would. 
And so now we turn to the part of the Christmas story to see the fulfillment of the prophecy. Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Can you imagine that day? That was scandalous. Joseph, I know we're engaged, but you need to know I'm pregnant, but it's God. Can you imagine what he's thinking? Are you sure about that? This was scandalous. So he was going to divorce her quietly because he still respected her. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. How many knows that, that Joseph needed an angel? I mean, you know, this has never happened before. It's not like that this has happened in the past that he could have something to compare it to. She's pregnant. Oh, yeah, but, but it's God. It's fine. So angel comes to Joseph. In a dream, Joseph, son of David, do, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Interesting, the name Jesus is the same word in Hebrew. Greek is Jesus. Hebrew is Joshua. means the Lord saves. Salvation. So he was born to save us. And that's what it says. He would call Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And so Matthew was saying, you know, that prophecy that Isaiah gave many years ago, this is, he said, this is what's happening. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. So he's quoting Isaiah. And they will call him Emmanuel, Emmanuel which means God with us. So this was the announcement that everyone was waiting for. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, just like you know, that, that tie there. You would think there would be a large group of people that have tracked along and, they showed, and showed up at his birth. We remember Isaiah saying it. And so we're tracking along, tracking along, tracking along. We get our eyes open, but that's not what happened. It's interesting that the only ones that would be a part of seeing the fulfillment of the prophecy when it happened were some shepherds. Some wise men later, an older man, Simeon, an older woman, Anna, in the temple when he was to be dedicated. Isn't it interesting that you would think there would be a large, massive group of people that would be tracking along and say, he has fulfilled, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. Why did so many miss it? I'm not going to get into that, but it's a different sermon for a different day. But I believe a lot of times in our hard-heartedness, because it, as we know, the people would still remain hard-hearted in some degree. Some people caught it. Some people loved God. And some people remained hard-hearted. But I believe it was uh, the, the big reason why they miss it is how he came. He came lowly. He came in humility. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, left all of heaven, was born to a virgin girl in a barn. He made a statement how he came. He did not go to the Ritz. He did not go to a fancy hotel. He did not come flowing with, with purple, and a purple robes and a crown and saying the king has arrived. He came in humility because he was making a statement that the kingdom of God will be understood and received in a place of humility. That's why Jesus says, unless you receive the kingdom like a child, what is a child? A child is humble. They're not analyzing it a thousand different ways. They 
are humble. So Jesus was making a profound statement on how he came. He was born in humility. He lived a life of humility. He didn't live in riches. He didn't live, he was a carpenter's son. He was very humble. He came in humility, and guess what? We get him through humility. We have to humble our hearts. We have to humble our hearts, and we have to put our pride down and say, I receive you. But it's interesting that this cast of characters, the shepherds, why would they go back and rejoice over what they had seen? Remember, the, angel, the angels you know, gave them the message. So why in the world would they go back rejoicing on what they had seen? They just see a baby in a barn. You know, then they go back and they're rejoicing. Why did these wise men who traveled from you know, a, a large, large distance, why would they come and they bow down and worship this baby and give him these gifts and he's very poor? It's because they understood that God isn't some force way out there, far off, unconcerned about people. He isn't just a God who watches over us, but he is now the God who is with us. Anna and Simeon, Simeon holds him in his arms and he says, this is the fulfillment. This is what we've been waiting for when they dedicate. He's holding this baby and he's worshiping God. And Anna, who's in the temple, she's worshiping God. And when she sees this, because they understood he's not the far off God somewhere out in the galaxies. He is God with us. He's personal. He's relational. God has come. The king as a baby, he has become a man. The creator of the universe reveals that he is relational by becoming one of us. John says it this way in John 1. He said, the word became flesh. Talking about Jesus. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He made his dwelling among us. Do we really believe that? Isn't that a hard thing to grasp? Or you hear it so much that sometimes you get numb or inoculated to the truth of that? That you can wake up every day and Emmanuel is with you? That God in the flesh dwelt among us? Do we understand the power, the reality of it? And I think if we, if we really, if we just got a portion of it, it would change how we lived. It would change everything. Because now, because of his coming, because he showed up, God is now with you and with me. And here's the, here's the just like the, just like the, the Old Testament people that were anticipating his coming, they had to have faith, didn't they? They had to believe what was foretold, and then they had to keep their eyes, but it took faith. That's why it's, there, it's written about them in Hebrews 11. We have this hall of faith, and it says that they saw, that they, they, they saw the promise from a distance, but they didn't gain the promise. In other words, they died in this life before Jesus came the first time. But then the writer of Hebrews says something else in Hebrews 11. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we, again, we say, I, I, I trust that he came. I trust what they said was true, that he did come, that he is God with us. But it's going to take faith. I think it's very normal for us. We, we, want, to make, we, want, to, we want it to make sense to us mentally cognitively and you know it rarely does 
I mean, you can't just sit there and try to mentally put your mind around it. It will blow your mind. It is God coming in the flesh and dwelling among us that he really came. But faith is, that whole faith thing, that's the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Faith like a child. Childlike faith. You hear that, but it's very true. Now that doesn't mean that we shouldn't ever have questions or doubts, because we will. But the encouragement is don't let doubt, don't let questions push you away from Christ himself. Let it push you closer to him. Because in the midst of this, the, what, what, what spawns the questions of the doubts, the things that we wrestle with are, are these things. And, and you've probably said these or thought these or processed this way in some way. I don't feel him. Have you ever said that? Like sometimes I, I just don't feel him. I, I would like to feel him. Or sometimes you sense his presence. And again, we don't always get the feeling. Feelings can be deceiving. We don't trust our feelings. It's awesome because he has created us as 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 with feelings, with, as it, with emotions, and that's how he created us. And sometimes his nearness you can sense and it's very tender, but we don't always get that. And isn't it hard when you're wrestling with God through a hard thing and, and you want to feel him? And I, I've talked to so many people sitting across, maybe in tears, they're, 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 they're dealing with something. They said, I just want to feel him. I don't, I don't feel him. You know, and as a pastor, it's so heartbreaking because I can't just make you feel God, you know, and I, I want you to feel God, and, 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 you have, and you're trying to be sensitive to point them to faith that we can trust God that he's there. just wish I could feel him. Or this, I, I just don't see him working in the midst of my life. I want to I see him. I want to see his hand. I want to see something. God, give me a sign. Anybody ever prayed that? Something like that. Show me. I've been there. God, please knock on my door and tell me what to do. That would be awesome. Maybe I'm the only one that would think that. Or you're wrestling with God, and I don't know how he could ever work out something good for this situation or that situation. I just, I don't see any hope in this at all. Where is God in the midst of this? I wish he would answer me. I wish he would get me out of this problem. Or like me, I wish he would knock on my door and tell me what to do. That would be great. And I don't want to minimize this time of the year. Christmas time tends to magnify good and pain, doesn't it? I mean, it's a very joyous time. It's a happy time for a lot of people. It's family time. It's love is in the, in the air, giving, receiving gifts. But however, for some, it's a reminder of the pain. That's why they say, you know, depression is highest around this time of year. Because for some, it's a reminder. It's that empty chair at your table. Maybe a loved one that had died. Maybe a broken, fractured relationship. Someone who was there is not there. You have those memories of maybe happier times before, a family laughing, sitting around. Now there's an empty chair or, miss, or empty chairs, and it's painful. And in those times, it's hard to know God is there. For others, the idea of God being with us raises the question of why he would ever want to be with me. 
based on the things that I've done, based on the shame, the guilt of my past. I, I, you know, people that know that they look back and they said, man, I, I've blown it so many times. I wish I could go back and change that. And then the idea where through years of that, shame builds up to a point of saying, why would God ever want to be with me? Or I have tried God and I loved him and I rejected him. I went and did my own thing. How could God ever love me? But in spite of all these things, all of these questions, all these doubts, all of the shame, all the guilt, it doesn't remove the fact that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us. It was prophesied he came. That is that is enough for us to say, I trust God, even though I can't feel him, even though I can't see him, that he's there. So I'm going to look at three thoughts on Jesus being Emmanuel. I forgot to, uh, I, I'm doing my own slides now, so I can't blame it on anyone. I just missed the, so you guys can read the part, other part of that. Just let you have a moment. Okay. I have nobody to blame but myself. All right. Jesus is Emmanuel. Number one is God is with you. God is with you. He is presently with you. Again, that, that setup is to say you can trust and you can have faith that he is with you. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. God is with us. Whether you feel him, see him, hear him or not, he is with you. One of the names that is given to God, one of those names I talked about, Jehovah Shammah, is a cool word that says the Lord is here. The Lord is here. And so he is presently with you. Listen to what Gabriel tells Mary when he's, he's inviting her to become the mother of Jesus. And he's Basically bringing a mission to her that has all kinds of drama surrounding it. This is an adventure unlike any of us would ever understand. But he's coming to her and inviting her to become the mother of Jesus. And he's a messenger from God. Gabriel is saying this, Luke 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, this Mary's cousin Elizabeth, she would become the mother of John the Baptist. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is what? Is with you. It's interesting. The, the angel is saying, Mary, Emmanuel has come. Emmanuel, he, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. So now this is a profound statement because, you know what, she needed to hear this and know this because of what he was going to ask of her, right? You need to know, like, when sometimes when the Lord is asking something and, and, and it's going to be, it's gonna be a, you know, a, a, a raw sense of obedience and trust of God, you need to know with faith that the Lord is with you. And so she needed to know that the Lord was with her because of what he was going to ask her to do. So he's basically saying, Mary, God is with you, and he will walk with you every step of the way. 
She needed to know that God was with her. The hard stuff, the pain, the sufferings, guess what? They were not going to be removed. That's why we are encouraged in Scripture. James, Peter talk about it. The, the apostles talk about suffering. There will be times of pain. There will be times of suffering. James says, count it all joy when you have trials. How do we do that? Knowing that God is with us. It's not in vain. It's not wasted. But God was not going to remove the hard stuff, the pain, the sufferings for Mary, but he was going to be with her. And God is also with us, just as he was with Mary. I love that he is called the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our trials. That's another passage of Scripture. He is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our trials. And that's the, one of the words that, that is given to the, specifically to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, that he is our comforter. He comforts us. The word comfort, this is really cool. It's from a Greek, it's from a Greek word that's kind of... Two words together, it means this. Or it says, here's the Greek word, parakaleo. And that's not trying to impress you with any Greek that I study, but it's to point you to a greater reality of what it means for God to comfort us. Parakaleo. Para means alongside. That's a word that you hear, we hear para even now, but para means alongside. Kaleo is the cool word. Alongside kaleo is called to. Called to. And so if God is our comforter, you know what, he's, you know what that's literally saying? He is called to come alongside you. Okay, I was waiting for something way more exciting to come from you. Like, um, people are like, yes. You guys still look like a deer in the headlights. God's calling is to walk alongside us. He's called to it. That's a part. You know, when we, we wonder what we're called to. A part of God's calling is to come alongside you and me. Okay, I'm excited about that. Thank you, God. But he is called to come alongside us in our times of need, our trials, our pain, our suffering, and our everyday challenges. Again, whether we feel him, see him, he's there. He's presently with us no matter what we're going through. Again, this reveals relationship. He is friend, he's healer, he's comforter. And he walks alongside of us, even on those times where things on the earth don't make sense. In our story, mine and Athena's, my, um, God, we saw God come alongside my mom as healer. He healed her as a little child. She was dramatically healed. And she also was healed of breast cancer. And she's a breast cancer survivor. And so he walked alongside my mom as healer. He walked alongside Athena's, uh, Athena's mom to walk with her in eternity. Didn't heal her, but he walked alongside us as comforter when she died. And he chose not to heal her on this earth. Even when we can't get it and grasp it, he is there. So God is with us presently. Number two, God was with us. God was with us. If we take a careful look at our past, we will see that God was there. Sometimes it's easier to see him in the past when we are presently going through some challenges. We, we, we remember. We're told to remember. That's why the children of Israel came across the Jordan River. You know, they set up the stones of remembrance. I talked about that 
last week, and it was to say where the, the kids, the grandkids would say, what are these, what are these stones? And the, the, the parents would say, this is when God rescued us. This is when we, we were able to talk about what God did. And it's important for us to remember what God did. And we look back, we can see that God was there. This is Joseph, you know, Joseph's story where he was dreams of greatness and then he's rejected by his brothers, you know, thrown in the pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused ultimately interprets the dreams, and then he's put in a place of prominence. Joseph was able to say, God was with me. Because later on he said, God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And I'm sure during the midst of it was hard to understand, right? You have those questions. When you are in the middle of it, it is very hard to see what God might be doing. When God seemed absent, but if we put our faith and our hope in Jesus, and we have faith and we trust him, we can see that he was working all along. And that's why Joseph could say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, for the salvation of many. And it says this over and over in that story. It says, I mean, it almost seems paradoxical because He's falsely accused. He's accused of rape. He didn't do it. He had integrity. And then he goes into prison. And then he goes, so he's falsely accused. God doesn't exonerate him. God doesn't say, you know, hey, Pharaoh, hey, you know, uh, hey, Potiphar. And God doesn't speak to them and say, you're wrong there. God allows him to go through it. God allows him to be falsely accused. He ends up in an Egyptian prison. And it says this, and God was with Joseph. Isn't that, isn't that a little hard almost to even read? I mean, I process that and I'm like, okay, God, if you were with him, wouldn't you escape him out of it? You know, couldn't we have you part the Red Sea and do all that kind of... God does sometimes come miraculously and he escapes, but sometimes he allows us to go through the fire because of what he's doing in our life. So Joseph, I'm not going to, I'm not going to escape you from that, but I'm going to be with you. The Lord was with him. And one guy said it like this. I'm quoting, quoting someone. He said, the pit became the passage to the palace. Isn't that cool? The pit became the passage to the palace. God was with him through the whole thing. If we open our spiritual eyes, we can recognize that God was there. And sometimes we can look back and maybe we should not have made it through that situation. Or how did we come through that? Have you ever said that? How did we make that? How did, how did we do that? Because when you're in the middle of it, it's very difficult. But how did we make it through that? How did God, man, how did we make it through? You know, I, when, when we were young, very early married, and Athena was pregnant with Taylor, and I, I got laid off from my job, and we were making very little very little, and somehow God provided. I mean, people would come and say, you know, God really wanted me to do this, and they'd give you a hand you an envelope. It'd be $50, and we just so happen to need that for this. Or one evening, a bunch of young couples that we were friends with at our church just show up, and they bring groceries into our house. And you look back, and you say, God, you were with us. It was difficult. I was trying to find a job, and it was very hard, but you were with us. And we look back, and how did we make it through that? 
How did we have peace in the midst of that storm? You ever look back and you, and you say, man, I should have been way more stressed than I was? Have you ever done that? God was with you. How did I get through that loss, that time of need? How did I get through, through that horrible situation? How, how did God make that come out for good? What was that? It was God with us. He was with us. And ultimately, salvation, he saved us because he's Emmanuel. One of my favorite stories to think about over the last few years, some of you know this story, and I've shared it before, but it bears repeating here. It was, you know, Stephen Curtis Chapman and his wife, Mary Beth, they, they adopted three girls from China, and the youngest one, Maria, they were out playing, and she ran, and, and uh, so the, the Chapmans have three biological kids, three adopted kids, and the uh, the youngest biological kid, he was 17 at the time, was pulling into their driveway. Maria wanted him to go help. She ran out in front of him. He ran her over and killed her. Stephen Curtis Chapman is a well-known Christian recording artist, loves the Lord. And through all that, Mary Beth ends up writing the, story, writing the book. Uh, and, and a part of that book had that story. It wasn't that, just about that. But the book is called Choosing to See. And the whole book is where she looks back and she sees what God was doing. And even in the midst of that, where they were, they were as a family, just grieved. They were, for, for, for their son Will, who did it, was an accident. He didn't see her. And he's, you know, he is just fighting with depression. And a few days after the funeral, you know, they hadn't even gone back to their house yet because they can bear to even walk in there because of the memories and things were left that, as, as they happened that day because they just dropped everything as, as, as a, a, a tragedy like that would just cause you just to, you know, just leave everything and just trying to make sense of this. And they were, they were grieved and they were saying, God, we cannot see, and, and this is one of these things they share, we cannot see how anything good can come out of this. This is what they said at, right, right when they were in the fire. How can anything good come of this? And so Stephen Curtis, and, and they're, they're, they're praying one time at their friend's house because they were staying with some friends. And he prayed this. He said, Lord, help us to see because we can't help us to help us to see something obviously you said everything works out good for those who love God we can't see anything good that would come out of this so they finally a few days after they go back in the home and you know the rush of emotions well they see over there where Maria had been sitting up uh, you know a little area where she would draw pictures she drew a flower and each, she drew the little petal of the flowers that came out and was one for each of her family members. All of them but one, the one was colored red. And she, just, she had just started learning to write and she wrote the word, guess what the word was? See. They didn't know that she could even write that word, see. And they began to see how God was going to use this to touch many, many people. And if you saw, they were interviewed on major news networks. And they get to sit there on these major news networks, and they're interviewed, how did you make it through? And they can talk about Jesus being Emmanuel, God was with us. 
And so no, no matter what you've gone through, if you look back closely, God was with you. Thirdly, God will be with us. God will be with us. Because he is Emmanuel, we can have hope that he will be with us in our days ahead, short-term and long-term. Because, you know, trials are like this. You're either going through one, you just went through one, or one's up ahead in some way, shape, or form. Some people understand trials to a level maybe most of us would never get. But when you're going through a trial, it doesn't matter how big or small, it's, it's, it's hard. But because Jesus is Emmanuel, he is going to walk with us. He will be with us. Let's go back to Mary. It was great that the Lord was with her. Because she had to trust that God was going to be with her for what was ahead. Okay, think about what was, what, what, what was going on and what was being asked of her. You're going to become pregnant out of wedlock in first century here in the Middle East. So you're going to become pregnant out of wedlock, which, if she finds out, that's punishable by death. Then you pause and say, why would God do it this way? The stigma that would surround this, the rumors that people would never believe what would happen. Carry this baby full term. You're going to, you're going to look pregnant, Mary. There's no hiding this. Then after he's born, go to Bethlehem, at, or, or before he's born, go to Bethlehem at a very inconvenient time. She's great with child. Now we're traveling to Bethlehem to go register in the city of David, where Joseph was from, where his ancestry was from. So nine months, you know, great with child. Travel to Bethlehem at an inconvenient time. Have Jesus in a barn. Go through all that. Then... Herod wants to kill them, so now you've got to flee to Egypt to protect his life. And that was hard enough, but think about Mary. I want you to think about her perspective even later on, how she needed to know that God was with her. And then she would look back and see that God was with her in the past, but think about what she was going to need. God will be with you when you see your son falsely accused before the Sanhedrin. He's mocked. He's ridiculed. He's spit upon. He is punched in the face. He is mistreated. Then he's scourged beyond recognition. And then ultimately executed by crucifixion and she watches it all. Can you imagine what her heart was? God, I need you to be Emmanuel. Can you imagine her saying, I don't feel you, I don't sense you, I don't get this, this is very difficult. And so she's kind of that ultimate example to us of God being with her through that. No matter what we face, we can rest in the fact that God will be with us on our journey. If we surrender our lives to Christ, he will walk with us every step of the way. Regardless of what is ahead, we can hold on to hope that we don't, we don't have to face it alone. He will be with us. He is with us, he was with us, and he will be with us. Even if we have a hard time knowing that he's there, 
He always will be Emmanuel. Look at Romans 8, and Paul says this so well. This is an Emmanuel passage, and it's up on the screen. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? And obviously he's saying no. No, because God will be with you. You might go through trouble, but God will be with you. Will hardship separate you from God's love? No, he's still with you. Persecution, famine, nakedness. In other words, even if you've lost everything, God can still be with you. He's still with you. Danger or sword. Now he's talking to a group of people at the time where persecution was at a fever pitch. But it speaks to us today that no matter what is ahead, no matter what, he will be with us and nothing will separate us from God. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what happens to you, you can rest assured that Emmanuel is present. He is God with us. And here's the thing about the Christmas story. You don't get that from anything or anyone else. That's what separates him from every other religion in the world. That God became one of us. And he gave his life for us so that he could walk with us in relationship. And we get love from him. We get healing. We get mercy. We get grace. We get restoration. And ultimately, we get his presence. We get him. Because it's found in him. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Here's the question, though, that surrounds every human heart on planet Earth. He's with us. Are you with him? Are you with him? Because he shows up and he gives himself to us, but he will not force us to take him or receive him. As I said before, as we celebrate Christmas, the, the true meaning is that God gave us, through Christ, the greatest gift ever. He loved, so he gave. He gave because he wanted to be with us and wants relationship with us. And here's the question, do you want that gift? Because you know, in a gift, you can, you can reject the gift, ultimately. You don't have to take, that's why it's a gift. Salvation is a gift. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that it's a gift. But a gift you can reject. You don't have to take the gift. And God won't force the gift upon you. But he's looking for us with humble hearts to open and say, I can't save myself. I can't help myself. You are what I need and I receive your gift. And I'm saying this. Receiving that gift, you will have no regrets. Walking with Christ, you'll have no regrets. And so how do you receive the gift? You, you, you humble yourself. You give him control of your life. You turn from your sins and your way of living, and you give control of your life to him. It's basically a surrender and a control issue. That's what it means, salvation, to say, I, I, I've been in control, I don't want to be in control anymore. Repent means to stop what you're doing, turn the other way, and do it his way. Every part of life, I give. And the thing is, is we get him in relationship. We don't say, God, I surrender, I give control of you, and he goes, okay, here's a list of rules to follow. 
That is not the exchange, but so many people think that that is the exchange. I love you, God. I give you my life. And he goes, okay, here's rules. He doesn't do that. He's Emmanuel. When we do that in humility, he says, here I am. Not the, not the book of rules. Here I am. Now I'm going to be your parakaleo. I'm called to walk with you. You've surrendered your life. You've humbled your life. Now I am going, I'm called to walk with you. I will be Emmanuel. I will be your friend. And yes, there'll be little things that I'm going to help you with along the way. Little sins, little things that maybe trip you up. But if you will continue to give your life to me every day, I will walk with you through it. So Christianity, we get him. We don't get rules. Then he takes you. He loves you. He restores you. He gives your life purpose. And then ultimately, he gives you eternal life. That the great hope is that when we leave this earth, we will be with him forever. He's not a God far away. He's not a God who is just simply powerfully watching over the universe. A virgin will conceive and will bring forth a child and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is with you. What will you do with his gift to you? Let's stand and let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the reality, the truth that you are Emmanuel. God, I pray today, Lord, that we would understand in a new way, just a new revelation. I encourage you to just open your heart to what that means, that he is Emmanuel, that he's with you, that he's personal, he's relational, and he loves you deeply. And Lord, thank you that even that picture that Carrie had about us being those pieces of wood with all of our flaws and all of our brokenness, all the issues that we deal with, that Lord, we come, we, we bring it to you, and you build the church with that. Because you love us so deeply. I pray, Lord, that we would understand your love in a new way. Lord, that we can understand that you are with us. God, I pray that even when we, as we look back, that we would open our eyes to see, oh yeah, that had to be God. This or that should have happened. Or I had peace at a... How did that happen? That was God with me. And I pray, God, that today each of us would in a new way give our lives to you and receive your gift of salvation, receive your gift of life, and walk with you every day. And that, Lord, when we do that, we have hope that tomorrow you will be with us. In a month, you will be with us. In 10 years, you will be with us. Whatever is ahead, you will be with us. And ultimately, We can see you face to face in eternity and see you as you are. God, I thank you and I praise you. I pray that as we celebrate this Christmas season, that we would never forget Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.